The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. To it. I'm going to go ahead and jump in here. Let's do it. So, hey, everybody, we're going to be in First uh, Timothy chapter four and verse six. That's where we're going to be picking up today. We've been reading uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, who he had left at the church in Ephesus um, with the uh, responsibility of uh, helping the church there to grow up and uh, pursue love and faith and truth, um, helping the church there to be the uh, pillar and foundation of truth, uh, pillar and column of truth, as we read last week in, in chapter three. Um, and really, this letter is in large part written, as we've said over and over again, um, to teach the, the Ephesian Christians and to help Timothy in ministering to them uh, to understand how, uh, how saints should conduct themselves in the household of God. What is the, what is the conduct? What is the lifestyle of a Christian like? And, uh, and so we've looked at a variety of things. We've looked at, uh, you know, some more general things about what Timothy's mission was um, in, uh, in, in, in bringing the gospel to them. Uh, back in chapter one, verse that came to mind was that the goal of our teaching or our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Um, one thing that Paul's kind of emphasized throughout this letter is uh, he, he's really tried to root and ground Timothy in the gospel and help Timothy understand that the gospel is, um, is uh, what motivates him to minister. It's also, uh, it's also what uh, I guess what uh, what drives us, what what um, pushes us to work uh, in the kingdom of God, and he's talked about more generally, like how Christians should interact with uh, people in authority and government, and and the the importance of prayer in the life of a Christian. He's given instructions to men and women and to pastors, uh, and now in this section, it seems like Paul is uh, is particularly given some warnings about what Timothy should expect um, in chapter four. And then also kind of helping Timothy to understand what what he needs to do in order to be a good minister or a good servant of Christ. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at today here in chapter four. Uh, any other thoughts you want to add setting setting things up today, Ben, before we pray and get into the word? That's a great, a great lead up. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so let's take a moment to pray together and then uh, we'll jump into uh, the text here. Uh, starting in verse six. Holy Father, thank you for our time together and your word. Thank you for that is uh, uh, readily available for us. And thank you for how it helps us and grounds us in a world that is constantly moving and in chaos and confusion. Uh, we pray, oh God, that as we read your word today, that you would teach us and instruct us and guide us uh, that we might be able to walk in your ways and to be pleasing to you in all things. So please, Lord, help us now as we study your word together um, and, uh, and grant us the, the understanding, the wisdom to know how to be faithful to you and how to, how to, how to do your will. Um, bless us as we spend time in your word now. Teach us, O oh Lord. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, you want to read? Do you want to start out reading down through uh, how far you want to go, Ben? I don't know. I mean, let's just read the rest of the chapter because it's all kind of. I mean, we'll, we'll break it up in chunks as we talk, um, but I think we can read the whole thing at once and just kind of get it all here at the outset and kind of get a vibe for what Paul's trying to get across. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So I'll read verses six to sixteen, and then we'll turn it over to you, Ben, um, to to get us going here. In pointing out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ, Jesus. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the good doctrine which you've been following. But stay away from worthless stories that are typical of old women. Rather, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily training is just slightly beneficial, 
but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance for it is for this we labor and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the savior of all mankind, especially of believers. So prescribe and teach these things and let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. And until I come, give your attention to the public reading, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was granted to you through words of prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching. And persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So verse six, I think, is just really helpful for helping us understand what this whole section is about. Um, he's just gotten into talking about some of these false teachings. I mean, some of the true teachings of Jesus Christ, the end of chapter three, and some of the teachings that were against that at the beginning of chapter four. And here he says, in pointing out these things, so talk about this stuff, Timothy. Why should I, Paul? People don't like hearing it. It's complicated to figure it all out, to work it all out, to explain it to folks and to have the tenacity and the courage to do it. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. Well, he says why in verse six, he says, in pointing these things out, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Or some translations say, might say something like a good minister. The word minister just means servant. It's kind of like how we talked about uh, the word deacon just means servant. There's lots of words that really just mean servant. Um, and the same thing with the idea of being a minister. It's not, we think about that usually as like a honored title. Some political systems, their political officials are called ministers of defense or the minister of, you know, economics, whatever. Um, and so that's not what it is. Of course, in a lot of church terminology that gets used to, oh, that's the minister. Like that's the like minister, meaning that's the guy who mm -hmm. does it. He's the top dog. You know, he ministers over everybody or whatever. Nobody really knows what it means. Well, that's because the word means a servant. So Paul is teaching Timothy about how to be a good servant. I think there's a couple of levels that's important to think about. There's some stuff here that seems to me pretty clear that it's just about Timothy. There's stuff we just don't, uh, I say clear because we don't have much clarity on it outside of this, like the laying on of hands from the elders. We don't really see that happening in a ton of places. We don't know exactly what that meant, but it was something special about Timothy, right? So there's stuff about Timothy being a good servant. There's also stuff about, those who preach and teach and serve God's people in that way. And this, this, this text is about that. Um, but in case somebody, if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, I'm not this guy, Timothy, and I'm not a, a quote unquote preacher or quote unquote minister in that regard. Uh, I guess this isn't for me. It's not true. This passage is about being a servant. And if you follow Jesus, then that's what we're all supposed to be in some shape, form, or fashion. There are some specific things here for Timothy, some specific things that relate especially, or there's a special responsibility for those who are preachers and teachers. But in reality, a lot of the instructions here are just universal instructions for all Christians. And I think there's at least three elements in this text worth us kind of considering. I don't know if we want to kind of take them one by one, or we may end up doing some overlapping. But one is in terms of serving in God's house or ministry in God's house. Uh, this text speaks to us about the importance of ministering and the importance of ministers, of servants, of each person doing their role, whatever that may be. If it's preaching and teaching, ministering the word, or if it's ministering food to the widows, Acts 6, for instance, we always talk about that text a lot. Whatever it may be, um, what's the importance of a good servant in the house of God? Secondly, What's, what are some of the habits of ministers in God's house? Um, and this is a little bit more specific to those who preach and teach, but frankly, all Christians should be equipping themselves to be able to minister the word to each other. So what's the kind of habits that we're going to need to have in order to be good servants, good ministers in God's house? And then thirdly, what's the kind of character that is necessary for being a good servant in God's house? Because it's not just about a position. Uh, it's not really a position at all is the idea. Not even just about what your habits, you can have good habits in some regard, but if you never develop good character, it's going to be hard for you to be a good servant.
So those are just some, like some big picture thoughts. I don't know what else, what else jumps out at you on kind of a big picture scale about the significance of this text or kind of what we should try to draw out of this text or get out of it. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking back to uh, in chapter one, when Paul talks about how he is thanking Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. And really, um, and he goes on to talk about how, you know, he used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, all these things. And yet he was shown mercy um, so that God's patience and uh, and his in God's grace might be demonstrated through him. Um but really, as I read this part, and it seems like Paul's come from like after founding, rooting them in the gospel and helping them to understand like, hey, you don't deserve to be a servant. Like, look at what the Lord has entrusted you with and look at how great that is. It all that see also seems to like, uh, I don't know, just sober us up to realize like, hey, if we have opportunities to serve to whatever extent I have an opportunity to serve. I need to be faithful in that. And this seems like, uh, you know, Paul just kind of reminding Timothy, like, hey, this is how you become a good, faithful servant of Christ Jesus. This is what what really needs to happen. And this is how you cultivate um, those habits. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So so let's look here. And actually, I'm really glad you brought that part in first, uh, the very first part of the book, because that's a reminder that, um, Paul being called into service, Timothy, every single person who follows Jesus is called into service. Right. And it's only by God's mercy that it's even possible. Right. Which kind of is, is a good setup for this first thing of what, what's the significance or the importance of being a servant in God's house? Well, the significance and importance of it is God's invested so much in his right. house. That's right. And so if, um, if he cares so much about his church for his people, about the work that he wants done, I need to care that much. I need to have that much of uh, an investment and a seriousness. So I'm just going to run through a few statements here. I'm probably going to miss something. So jump in here. Either you're, you're probably going to expand on some of these or add to the list. But I think there's several statements here where he tells us about how important service in God's house really is. Ministry in God's house really is. Um, one thing is he talks about discipline, which I think will come back in the um habits thing, but he specifically says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness for bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. All right. So godliness, which is what God's trying to cultivate in his house, um, is far superior in terms of its impact to any kind of bodily benefits that we could have. So here he uses the analogy, which makes sense for Timothy. Maybe he was a younger man still trying to stay, you know, healthy and fit and all that kind of stuff. Paul says, listen, man, whatever you could do for your body to make your body well, uh, godliness is far superior to that. And you might expand that out. Whatever you could do uh, socially for social wellness among God's people, that's good. But godliness is far greater than that. And whatever you could do for, I mean, just keep going on the list. Any kind of immediate temporal earthly um, pursuit, godliness is more significant, uh, partly because it impacts all those other things. You can get your body physically fit and godliness gets left behind and you forget about it. But if you're a truly godly person, there's a lot of even physical benefits you're going to derive from that if you really live a godly life. Um, and I mean, we don't have to go into detail on this, but that's just a fact. And so many other mental, emotional, relational things. Maybe that's what he means when he says that godliness holds promise for this life and the one to come when you're a godly person, there's promises for what, how that'll impact you for good now and in the one to come. So, I mean, that's one thing. That's why it's so significant to have good servants in God's house and to be a good servant and to be influenced by good servants is so that you can pursue godliness because that's what will really count. I said, I was gonna make a list, but I talked too much right there. What, what do you think about verse eight in particular or seven and eight? Um, what jumps out at you there in, uh, in those verses, as far as this significant importance of a, uh, serving in God's house. Well, and I think that's, this is part of the problem, right? Is that it's so easy for us to get focused on um, what's promising something in the present. Like there's, it's so easy to focus only on the things that are promising something for me right now. 
And one of the things that Paul is really saying, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a good servant of Christ Jesus, if you're going to be faithful as a minister, then you've got to learn to think beyond the moment and think about things that are not just for the present, but also the things in the life to come. And, uh, and so much of what he says in this letter is rooted in that. Uh, he, and really the next verse, he, um, or in verse 10, he really drives that home uh, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who's the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So really like, hey, this is the end that we're working for. And I mean, if you think about it, like if the end of, of all of our work and all of our training and all of our, our, the, all of what we're doing as Christians, if the end goal of that is to be pleasing to and to be with and to be um, in the presence of the living God, that really, everything else really pales in comparison to that. All yeah. other work, all over the other accomplishments, all other achievements, all other awards, nothing compares to that. And I think that's why he says like, hey, this is so important because the reward of this is far greater than any other reward that you can get for anything in this world and then secondly um the cost of not reaching this will far transcend any benefit that comes from missing out on uh, on this relationship with god so no doubt no doubt yeah 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 and i like another layer in verse 10 that very last phrase you know we're thinking okay why is it a big deal to be a good servant you know why why do we need to the next couple of things we're talking about some of the habits of being a good servant and the character we got to build why, why is it so important? The last part of verse 10 is he says that really the person we're serving is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Kind of comes back to what you pointed out at the top where Paul said, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ because how he saved me. Part of it is gratitude. Look what the Lord has done for me. And part of it is also just understanding the project that God is on. The more important the project is, the more hyped up we are about uh, doing the thing. Right. You think about people who work jobs that they feel really excited, satisfied in because maybe they really believe in the product or the service that their company provides because they think they're really making a difference as opposed to, and we've all been there because we've all had to do it from time to time, uh, working in like the fast food industry. Almost no one's ever excited about that because they don't think what they're doing is important. You know, it's just, I'm making a paycheck. I'm giving people some food that I don't even think is all that good. And they don't think it's all that good and it's cheap and unimportant. And that's it. I'm not excited about this. You know, um, even if I'm thankful for the job, I'm not hyped about it. Well, similarly for us, we need to be hyped about the work that we're doing and also take it more seriously, you know, because God's on this project to save people, not only to benefit in a lot of ways, but to save people from bad things. So we need more good servants in the household of God or else there's going to be some real problems. Amen. Amen. I think, again, I think that's our problem is though a lot of times we're not thinking about the end. We're only thinking yeah. about the moment. And if you're only making decisions based on the moment, you know, there's a lot of things that might seem more important. Like I got to work on my physique or I got to work on my, you know, hairstyle or I got to do this or that, you know, because um, a lot of things matter now. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important to, 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 to keep in mind the end of life every day. And to think about day by day, week by week, month by month, when I'm goal setting, sometimes our goals don't go far enough. We're not thinking about the end of life. Uh, and because of that, our, we, end up, we end up over prioritizing things that really at the end of life we're not gonna, are not going to be that important. Um, and under prioritizing things that really at the end of life will matter to us so much. Um, so, yeah. And you mentioned this earlier on that, one thing Paul reminded Timothy, I was like, Hey man, don't forget the thing we're all about in our teaching, in our ministry is love. In other words, getting outside of yourself and not just in some sort of abstract, like I don't think about myself kind of way, but positively thinking in a way for God's glory and for the benefit of other people. Verse 16 kind of summarized that like, Hey, your service, the reason why it's important is you're trying to ensure salvation for yourself and for others in Timothy's case. And in those, in the case of those who are, you know, ministering, serving and preaching and teaching, it's those who hear, but whatever it is, that's what we're serving for. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're trying to live for is to bring about salvation. This is a really big deal for the good of others. You know, 
Uh, it's not like you said, it's, it's certainly something, it's not immediate, it's future. And it's not me, it's God and it's them. And that's how I've got to think about my life. And that's going to push me and motivate me to be uh, more active and proactive and more willing to carry out the kind of habits that are required to be a good servant and to build the kind of character that's going to be necessary to be a good servant. Amen. What, what else are you seeing here as far as statements Paul makes that elevates the importance of or kind of helps us understand the significance of serving in God's house, which I might add, this is a really great moment for us here because we're trying to, we're kind of doing a little bit of a retrospect of the last couple of weeks where we've looked at different uh, either act, uh, responsibilities of service. Uh, that's probably the best way to put it. Responsibilities in service in a variety of ways, prayer and men and women fulfilling their roles and uh, shepherds and, and deacons and, you know, all this finding faults, uh, you know, fighting false teaching to find the truth, all that kind of stuff. This kind of pause of like, hey, we need this. This is a big deal. All this stuff is not just like, oh, this would be nice if you want to be religious. This is a really, really big deal. So anyway, uh, any other statements that you see either here or things we've seen previously in the book that just help us understand the elevated importance of being a good servant? Well, so the last phrase that we read, uh, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers reminded me of verse one, which we read last week when he says, the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons uh, through the insincerity of liars who consciously their theory, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, what, what, what made me think about that is um, one of the reasons why we need faithful servants of Christ Jesus people trained in the words of faith and good doctrine, people who have the character um, and the faith and the love and the purity to be able to, uh, to serve the church is because there are always going to be these deceitful, de de deceitful spirits and teachings of demons around. And if nobody's straightening the church out and saying, hey, no, this is what is true and this is what is right. Don't listen to those lies. Don't follow that uh, path that leads to destruction. If you don't have people like that, it's very easy for people to just get dis distracted or blinded or deceived into following these spirits or these teachings that actually are going to end up leading to their own ruin and destruction. Um, and so I think that's part of what he's saying here. You better watch yourself and you better watch how you teach because it's not only affecting, it's affecting you and your salvation, but it's also affecting everybody who hears you as well. That's awesome. That's a great point. Great point. All right, so what are the kind of habits if I'm going to be a good servant? And I want, I know this is important, this really matters. What are some of the habits that I need to cultivate? What are the kinds of ways? I mean, he, he uses uh, the phrase, which I guess is a habit itself, but it's kind of just another way of saying what we mean by habits, uh, good habits at least, usually take discipline. Verse seven he says, I have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for all women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Um, so and there's a number, I think we've even kind of mentioned a couple, but it's worth kind of recapping them, but for you, what are some of the habits, some of the acts of self-discipline and, um, yeah, what, what do you see here in terms of what it takes to be a good servant, the kind of habits and acts of discipline that we're going to be staying engaged in to be good servants? Well, so uh, it's interesting. I think the word he uses there that we translate discipline or exercise is uh, the word that we get the gym from, gymnasium from, um, which I think is helpful. Like you think about like, hey, he's telling Timothy to get in the gym uh, and spiritually to yeah. get in the gym and uh, and exercise and and uh, and and get the kind of nourishment that he needs in order to uh, to to be. Um, faithful and serving Christ. So I, I think about this in terms of like exercise and nutrition, yep. um, just like that's important for an athlete or that's important for a soldier, or that's important for somebody who's, uh, you know, in one of those exercise groups and, you know, buff bodybuilders. Um, it, it, the same thing must take place for somebody who's going to minister for the Lord Jesus. You've got to have the right kind of nutrition and you got to have the right kind of exercise. Um, and I, and, and, if you think about that, like it all starts at home um, behind the public ministry of any servant of God is the discipline of private study of the word of God and a devotion to uh, to prayer. 
Um, we are not going to teach well unless we are learning well. Um, and I, I think about Ezra here. We've been reading recently in the book of Ezra. Uh, Ezra set his heart um, to study the word of God, to practice it, and to teach it. And I think in that order, uh, that's the order. He focused on learn, being a learner first, being a follower second, and then being a preacher third, uh, preacher and teacher third. And that's the way any servant of God is, uh, is going to grow. I, it, we can get to a really, really dangerous spot. Um, if I, you know, it's easy to kind of skip over that uh, when you're a preacher or teacher or a minister in that sense, and, and you're always ministering the word to other people. It's easy to kind of skip over that, uh, that important step of Bible study, which is applying the word first to yourself. Um, but actually, uh, it's a very dangerous thing to, to overlook. Um, so maybe to expand on that, I mean, we both had, um, people advise us. I mean, I know we both try to engage in this personally. Um, if you're somebody who's regularly preaching and teaching the word of God, you better be studying things besides things that you're teaching and preaching about. Right. Um, cause otherwise you're not really learning anything that you're not nourishing yourself. You're just preparing food for others, which is great. And that's the whole work of someone who preaches and teaches. But if you're going to be a good servant, it starts with you staying healthy, as you're pointing out. In verse six, he says that, um, especially six and seven, I guess. So you better stay nourished. Part of that is just the discipline of staying in the word, period. But also actually being intentional about saying, I'm going to study something I'm not even teaching so that I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just thinking, what's God teaching me here? What do I need to learn? How do I need to grow and change? that's crucial. It's probably also good. Maybe it's a good place for us to insert this. Um, if someone's sitting there, you're like, well, I'm not a preacher or teacher. And it's clear we're getting into some things that are pretty directly relevant to preaching. Well, first of all, all Christians need to be studying the Bible to stay healthy and be good service, but we don't have to run away from the fact that, yeah, this is primarily instructions that relate to preachers and teachers. So maybe this is a good thing to kind of check up on people, you know, that are preachers and teachers in terms of encouragement. It also is a good litmus test. If you're if you're someone who's been bouncing around from church to church and you're trying to find um, a place that is the household of God, the church of the living God. Well, one thing is look to the people who are serving. Do they really know their word? Uh, do they really like are they feeding on the word of God? And not just I don't mean just regurgitate some quotes from it, but I mean, do they do they demonstrate a real devotion to the word of God and submission to it? Um, that's necessary for someone who's going to be able to serve us well to grow up uh, and to become what God wants us to be. And there's also a counter here as far as uh, have, or you got something else on, on being nourished on the word. You think we could throw in here? No. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I would say there's kind of a, it, it kind of goes along with it, but it's the, the counter also is not only do I need to make sure to maintain the habit of feeding on the word of God and the, the sound or the healthy teaching that word sounds means, it's good for you, you know, good food, in other words. Um, I also have to avoid bad food. You can go to the gym every day, but if you're not eating, you're never going to get stronger. And you can eat all the kale in the world if you want. But if you follow it up with some donuts and soft drinks, it's not going to matter. You're not going to get healthier, no matter how many kale shakes you have for breakfast. Uh, yeah. And in verse 7, he says, not only make sure that you feed on the good sound teaching, but protect your mind, protect your heart, protect your ears from listening to things that are not constructive, that are not true, that are not godly. So here we think about all kinds of applications, people who are um, coming from false perspectives, false doctrines, false teachings, whether intentional or unintentional. We think about unhelpful and unhealthy social and political dialogue and, um, and media. We think about entertainment media that's worldly and corrosive. Uh, there's all kinds of applications of this, I think, but we got to protect our minds and discipline ourselves to have the kinds of habits that we're not getting infected with bad nutrients. Uh, I was going to say bad nutrients. I don't know if there's such things as bad nutrients, but opposite of good nutrients, things that not, aren't healthy. Well, I had written down here, um, avoid spiritual junk food. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's basically what we're talking about, right? Pointless exercises, you know, things that actually in the end are not going to help you grow in, uh, in, in the knowledge that leads to love and godliness. And if you think about this too, um, there are some people, uh, I was thinking about a couple of things you said. One, there's, there's some people 
that are really powerful uh, orators. Uh, they're very good speakers. But if you really look at uh, like deeper, um, they're not really giving you much substance from the word. Um, and, uh, and, and part of the problem is that sometimes there's a greater appreciation uh, among, uh, among people for how a word is presented than actually the word itself. Like, um, and we need to watch out for that. Like our, our focus needs to be on, um, on, on eating the word and be, and having good nutrition. Um, because what happens if I, if I'm not actually eating the word myself and I'm not actually being filled up and I'm filling myself up with this junk food, eventually what I start to offer people in my ministry is not that helpful. Yeah. Like it's not that fruitful. It doesn't actually end up being, being, uh, useful and helpful to, uh, to, to the people that I'm trying to help. And so I, I've got to be careful what I'm eating. And I think too, just, um, I thought about what Paul said in first Corinthians nine, similarly, uh, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. So notice that here, Paul is very purposeful in all of the actions that he takes. Um, and, and really, honestly, a lot of uh, servants of Christ, and myself included, like we could, we could benefit from looking at the way athletes train looking at the way um, soldiers train and just taking some lessons from them about the kind of discipline um, and, and, and the kind of purposefulness. Um, you won't see a lot of aimlessness uh, if you look at uh, the, the uh, LeBron James or Anthony Davis training schedule. I mean, if you're trying to win a championship, you got to be purposeful in how you live your life. Um, and I think sometimes that's part of our problem is we don't really have purpose. We don't really have aim. We're not really careful to, 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 to be focus on the things that we need to be able to grow and be able to, to mature and to be useful in the kingdom of God. Therefore, we end up kind of spinning our wheels and not really being that useful as servants of Christ. Yeah, that's right. That is right. That kind of goes into it. And, and some of you may be reaching back to what we were talking about earlier with the significance of service, servants and service in the house of God, ministry in the house of God. Uh, verse 10, I think, is another habit that we have to cultivate. He says in verse 10, for it is this we labor and strive. That's this discipline, habits, like same kind of language, right? Because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Um, fixing your hope on something is really important. I mean, you just use the sports analogy specifically of people pursuing some sort of championship. Oh, they fix their hope on that. Some do. I mean, sometimes there are people who fix their hope on it and they just aren't able to for various circumstances. But frankly, a lot of people don't win championships in sports because they really didn't fix their hope on winning championships. We don't read about those because they aren't very fun stories people write about, but it's true. A lot of them, they're just, and it's, I mean, fine, good for them, whatever. It's their job. Some of them are like, hey, I make money for my family this way or I just enjoy it. No problem. But for the ones that win the championship, the only reason they do is because they fix their hope on it. And so in order to be effective servants in God's house, we're going to have to discipline ourselves to fix our hopes in the direction they ought to be. Um, what do you think about this? It seems to me there's a lot of wrong hopes that someone could fixate on or, or just slip into in their service. You know, I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to do religious stuff. Um, maybe even I'm going to be a preacher or a teacher or whatever role I may fill in God's family. I'm going to do that. And here's why. Here's the hope I have that of something good that'll come out of that. What do you think are some of the bad hopes, some of the bad things that people can slip into um, that we, we can fall prey to if we're not careful? Yeah. Well, so I went to a school, a Christian school for a while, and a lot of people that were there uh, were interested in becoming preachers. Um, and I remember hearing some of the things that people would say about why they want to do it. And it was always a little troubling to me. You know, sometimes like, well, I don't really, have, I don't really know what else I want to do in school. So I'll just become a preacher or something like that, you know, or, uh, or like, I'm, Translation, I'm a lazy bum, but I can talk pretty good. And I've gone to church my whole life. So I'm pretty sure I can just ride off that. I'm pretty maybe, sure. Maybe I can get a job where I only have to work on Sundays, you know, so, uh, <laughs> um, or maybe, you know, um, I, I think about like people that were, uh, thought about it as like, Hey, 
this is a way like this is a way to have influence over people like yeah. this is a way to have like um you know i don't know i don't they probably wouldn't use the word power but like this is a way to really influence people um and uh man you know um i think for other people it could be like there's believe it or not like in some churches there's money in like like hey i can get money this way and maybe even money getting back to the other point like easy money you know uh in some ways um sadly uh or 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 you know i think about people that just uh just are trying to uh become popular and there's a way to do that like to be um, loved to be liked adored like i think people will look up to me or whatever yeah exactly and all of those men are for a variety of reasons just very dangerous for the servant of god if that's like what you're after if that's what you're in for if that's what you're chasing after man, it, it can really lead you to some bad places. Like just take one of those, for example, like if my, if my goal in being a servant of Christ Jesus has become popular, there's a good chance that when the deceitful do, uh, spirits and the doctrines of demons come in, I'm just going to follow, not, not, uh, not critique them, not like tell people, not warn people of them. I'll just follow them. Cause it might make, cause oftentimes I'll be much more popular as a preacher and as a servant. If I just follow the, uh, the, the uh, demonic wave, you know, than if I am actually calling it out and speaking against it. Um, and a lot of people, I think, uh, get wrapped up in that. Well, you know, what, what's, if I, if I was to preach on this, if I was to talk too much about this, uh, then, then, then people wouldn't want to come. Uh, people wouldn't, 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 wouldn't want to be at church. They wouldn't be, want to be a part of us or whatever. And, uh, and those are just really, really, I think, dangerous things to fall into, dangerous hopes to set yourself on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's also dangerous that you can then expand it out. That there's some people who preach for good motivations, but they're not really um, the kinds of things we see in the New Testament, right? Like maybe somebody was really bothered by a particular thing, a particular sin or a particular aspect of church culture. And it's like, I want to change that. Well, that actually is right and good. We should want to change that. But why? Do I want to change that because I'm so angry that there's so many hypocrites out there and like I've gotten cheated or something like that? Mm. Or, um, you know, I choose like a particular doctrine that I find to be really meaningful or attractive and not even like, like it's not really in to all people, but I just think it's important on um, some sort of almost like a social agenda or whatever you might say. Well, that's like a good, that's a good thing too. Right. But how much good is that going to achieve ultimately if it's all about me? And I think that's where, like, what I'm saying is there are even some like righteous reasons that are still me centric reasons, which is exactly what you're pointing out. All the ones you just listed off are very obvious. Well, they should be obvious. I guess they are some people like you pointed out. Some people are like, this is why I want to do this, but it should be obvious. That's really bad. Paul says, fix your hope, fix your hope on the living God. I know, I think in this context, he's really talking about like, hey, the reason why we want to be godly and encourage godliness is because of the hope of eternal life, that our hope is in God. But I think it it start that may be our big picture hope, but on the small scale of my service in God's house, if my hope every day is not fixed on the living God, then I'm going to get all messed up. This is why whenever you read through the, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus's statement in John 6, where he said, I have come to do my father's will. He would say in another place, I always do what pleases my father. That's the whole thing. It was about pleasing the father. And repeatedly throughout Paul's writings, he'll talk about, hey, whatever you do, do what is pleasing in God's sight. That's the whole thing. In other words, the reason why anybody should serve in God's house, if they, we have to discipline our minds and make it a habit to fix our hope on pleasing God. That's all I care about, which is going to eliminate all the potential problems of my service if my I'm fixated on what can I do that will please God, that's got to be my central aim and purpose. And that, that is a discipline to remind ourselves that that's what it's all about. It's not about some sort of product or results or benefits for me or other people's opinions or whatever. It's about doing what pleases God. And that's, we got to have that kind of habit in terms of our mentality. Yeah. Those are the exact words I was going to say, uh, which Paul says in second Corinthians five, uh, we have it as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And I think ultimately that's what it means to set your hope on God is to set your hope on pleasing him in all things 
That's the aim. That's the goal. I want to, I'm not trying to please my brother, my sister. I'm not trying to please my wife. I'm not trying to please my, the brethren that I'm worshiping with or the, the neighbors that I'm around. My aim um, is to please God. And in everything, I got to live out of that hope. Um, and that hope's going to lead me to, to the kind of discipline that Paul's talking about here. So. Yeah. So um, a couple more habits before we talk about, especially verses 11, uh, verse 12, I guess, in particular, but a couple other habits that, that jumped out at me. Uh, verse 13, until I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation and to teaching. Uh, some translations put this in probably a right way to read it, the, the public reading of scripture. Uh, the idea being that it's not just you need to be absorbed in these things personally, but also you need to put them out. And I really love kind of back to what you said about Ezra chapter seven, verse 10. Personally, the order should be study it, do it, then talk about it. Not the other way around, not don't reorder, don't mess up that order. Learn what the Bible says, do what the Bible says personally, tell other people, try to help them learn how to do to what it says and how to do what it says. But I like verse 13 because he says, until I come give attention. So actually be careful about this. This is back to our habits thing, our discipline thing, our, our going to the gym and working out thing. Don't forget, don't forget leg day, you know, like that kind of thing. Don't forget to, you know, not hurt yourself when you're doing squats, whatever. Um, verse 13, until I come give attention to the reading first, to exhortation and to teaching. Uh, reading comes first. I, I don't know if there, maybe, maybe I'm making too much out of this, but I'm just going to point it out because I think it's significant. He doesn't say first teach and exhort and make sure you read too. He says, read. Now, maybe that means literally you read scripture before you talk, you know, uh, maybe it means, whatever it is, that needs to be the primary thing though, in someone who's a good servant of Jesus Christ. This kind of goes back to somebody who's like, well, I'm not real sure if the church I'm going to, if the people that are ministering, there are really ministering in the right way. Are they? Well, one test is, are they really reading the word of God? Are they really pushing it? You know, we, we had someone recently who, um, you know, was talking about, they're like, yeah, the church that I grew up in, the faith system I grew up in, we never really read the Bible and they didn't really read it much in church either. You know, there might be a verse early on and that was kind of it. That's a problem. That's a problem. If these are the words that nourish our souls it's the words that nourish anybody. So as someone who's ministering in God's house, I got to make that the priority. And what I'm doing is to the, the public reading of scripture and then let whatever exhortations that I give be based on that. Whatever instruction I give is going to be checked by the word of God and it's going to come directly from the word of God. That's got to be the key. And that's got to be something not just that I do privately, but that I do publicly, that I do in a way that will be um, helpful. Back on Ezra, it's in Nehemiah, what, chapter eight and around verse five or six, something like that, where Ezra, not only Ezra 7.10, read it for himself. Since he did that, he also stood up before the people and read the law to them, just read it, and then would explain it to help them understand pieces that were unclear or whatever. That's got to be a priority in service in God's house. Seems like Jesus was in the habit of that too. Remember in the Gospel of Luke, he stands up, reads the scripture, gives a scroll back, sits down, and then says, "This has been fulfilled in your hearing today." Um, and, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. The reason, the the reason, just related to what you're saying there for that, why we must start with the reading of scripture, is um, because when I when I'm trying to use the word to exhort or to comfort, um, to encourage. Um, when I'm trying to encourage, when I'm trying to comfort, like if I'm, if, if the word of God is not the foundation for that, I might not end up saying things that are very comforting or very encouraging, or I might not end up saying, uh, I might end up saying things that may seem very comforting, but actually are, are avoiding what the brother or sisters uh, that I'm around really need to hear in the moment. Uh, and so, uh, and, and the same goes with teaching. Um, if I'm not starting with the public reading of scripture, then what am I going to end up teaching? It's going to be more of my own philosophy and my own thought processes and my own way of thinking than it is the word of God, which is not nearly as helpful. Um, in fact, it could be quite harmful. Um, and so the only way I'm going to be effective in helping other people is if, is if the, the comfort and the encouragement and the exhortation and the teaching and the preaching and all the things that I'm sharing are deeply rooted in the word of God. The way to ensure that is to make sure I'm giving more attention to the reading 
than I am to, uh, to any of those other things. Yeah. Yeah. I heard someone say once, and I think it's right. And I think it's an important practice. Person said the reading of scripture should be the best part of every sermon. And they weren't just meaning that in a romantic sense. I mean, they meant that like whether in the, the quantity of, of, you know, attention that's given to what the text is actually saying, the care with which it's read, the, um, the, all, all that sorts of thing that, that really should be the best part and the most featured element of, uh, of any kind of teaching among God's people. Cause that's, what's going to actually help. Uh, all right. So, uh, as far as these habits, we need to make sure that we're nourished on the word of God personally, that we're avoiding junk food. Like you said, um, you know, corrupting corrosive influences. We need to make sure that our hope in ministry is fixed on the right thing, that we're disciplining our minds to have the habit of thinking about the right stuff. We need to be giving attention to the public reading of scripture and then have exhortation, exhortation and teaching come from that, which I guess it might be worth saying exhortation, exhortation and teaching are supposed to come out. It's not like you just read the scripture. Like, all right, everybody see you later. You know, like there is supposed to be some thought. It's just got to be grounded in that. And it's going to be natural for it to come out. If you really read your word, it's going to come out because you're going to have some stuff that you feel like you got to say that God is uh, God's point. Now, another habit in verse 14, that I noticed is he, uh, and I, I think this, I, I don't know what this is. And I don't, if you have an answer to this, uh, just take the wheel and, and go here, but I don't really feel a need to know personally. I'd, I'd be happy if someone would unveil it to me. Um, but in verse 14, it says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance of the laying on of hands of the presbytery or the elders take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. I don't know what this thing was. We don't have any record of what it was that happened with Timothy, where he was given some sort of special gift, some sort of special commission with that gift. I don't know what it was, but I do know that every person has gifts or has abilities or has things that God has entrusted them with. And there's a principle here that Timothy was supposed to take the gift he had. And it wasn't just that he was gifted and then he could ride on that. No, it says, don't neglect it. The idea being cultivate whatever gifts you may recognize the gifts God's given you cultivate them and take pains with them, uh, uh, utilize them, lean into them, improve upon them so that you can actually uh, utilize them in God's service. We might think about something like the parable of the, the, the men who were given money from their master and they took it and they cultivated this gift that was given of responsibility, but a gift nonetheless, they took it and they cultivated it and they made more for their master. I think that's what verses 14 and 15, a principle we can draw out. Whatever abilities, opportunities, skills, gifts I've been given, I need to make sure to take pains to cultivate those and expand upon those in God's service. Yeah, I love the the word there in verse 14, don't neglect, um, is, uh, is the word for like negligent or careless. Um, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's helpful for me to think about, like, I need to recognize the gifts that God has given me. And then I need to be careful, not careless in how I use them. Like I need to be careful that I'm using them in a way to have a concern that I'm using these or practicing these in a way that builds up the church. Um, and one thing that I think can often happen for us is we have these gifts but we're not very thoughtful about how to use them to build up others or to serve others. So what ends up happening is I may be using the gift to build up me in some ways or, or to, to help me, but I'm not actually using it to actually be of, of any benefit to other people. And, uh, and this is a good reminder. No, when God gives us gifts, he gives them to us for the purpose of serving others, for the purpose of upbuilding the church. Remember, this is in the context, going back to verse 6. Uh, of how to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And so um, the gifts that God gives us, we need to think about, we need to recognize them as what they are. It's not, a, it's not a talent. It's not some sort of achievement. It's not some sort of skill that I've done on my own. It's a gift from God. Therefore, it hasn't been given to me to just spend on myself or to just use however I want or to just neglect it entirely. It's been given to me to be to use in the service of my brothers and sisters and of my neighbors and of the people around me for the glory of God and for the progress of his gospel. Yeah. So what that means is if I'm a gifted communicator, that's something that comes from God. I could use that for my own personal benefit and gain in uh, some sort of business pursuit. And, and if that's the way things work out, fine. 
but I better be figuring out how to cultivate that to be able to communicate God's word. If I'm a gifted writer, then I should be figuring out how to utilize that to spread God's word better. Um, maybe I'm gifted just in being uh, good socially. I have a high emotional intelligence. Well, how can I make sure to leverage that, not for my own personal gain and to be really popular, but to embrace others and bring them closer to Christ and be able to perceive how to you know, highlight the gospel to people. Maybe I've been gifted with a lot of money. Well, that's great. That's not, that's not a bad thing. It's nothing to be ashamed of as long as I'm using it for God. Um, and you can go on and on and on down the list. Whatever gifts it is that we've been given, we need to be gifts of experience, gifts of our uh, familial or ethnic heritage or whatever it may be. Use them for God. Your education, all that stuff uh, are things that we need to um, learn how to utilize for God. Of course, even more so things that are expressly spiritual gifts like you know, the exact context here. But I think this is a really broad principle that you see in a lot of places in scripture that, Hey, God's giving you this stuff. Just use it for him, not for worldly pursuits, not for yourself. Amen. So I guess the last thing I see as far as habits before we spend the last few minutes talking about basically verse 12, um, actually is a lead into verse 12, um, verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So the end of verse 16 takes us back to where we started. What's the significance and importance of this thing? Hey, it's salvation both for you and for others. It's godliness that people would know God and be close to God. That's the importance of this thing. And there's all these habits that we've uh, highlighted throughout this section, the kinds of things we've got to discipline ourselves in. In verse 16, one of the disciplines is just paying attention to yourself, watching out. Are, what kind of bad things are creeping up? What kind of good things do you need to pursue more vigorously? Um, and, and, and what kinds of things are you talking about? Are you talking about things that are true and right in God's eyes? Are you talking about all the things that are true and right in God's eyes or only some of the things that you find particularly compelling or appealing or important in the moment or whatever? Um, pay attention to yourself. Watch out for who you are and who you are becoming, because that's going to impact your ability to serve uh, God's people effectively. I think, I mean, I feel like we could probably go for like a couple hours on this whole section. I think it's because this is one of those sections for you and me and the kind of work we're trying to do. It's pretty convicting, somewhat frightening. And it just, it, it, it it's really, uh, uh, I don't know, it gets inside of you. Like, oof, how am I doing with this stuff? This one especially is so important. How am I doing with understanding the significance of our work? How am I doing with these kinds of habits and the kind of uh, disciplines I need to be engaged in, but especially how am I doing in my character? And verse 12 is one of those, I mean, it's a verse that we end up coming back to these things a lot. We've been talking about it already a lot, but uh, in that verse in particular, he's right in the middle of this whole section. He speaks to the necessity of cultivating the right kind of character in order to be a good servant. So some of the stuff we've already touched on, I think, but it's worth, you know, spending our last few minutes here to kind of ride this out. But what jumps out at you in particular in verse 12, as far as the kind of character that Paul says to Timothy, hey, man, make sure, pay close attention, discipline yourself to pay attention to having the right kind of character. What, what do you see in verse 12 as far as the character that servants are going to have to have in God's house? Um, man, we'll start with the first one, speech. Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot in the past season we've been in where there's a lot of hurtful speech being spilled, um, for, uh, particularly by, uh, by many of us who claim to be believers uh, and claim to be disciples of Jesus. Um, I think about what Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the way I talk and the way I post and the way I write and the way that I, um, you know, the things I, I, I uh, share on social media, those things say a lot about what is in my heart. Um, and so I think that's why Tim, Paul tells Timothy, hey, you better be careful. Be a, be a uh, pattern for the believers in, and an example for the believers in, in your speech. Pay very careful attention to what you say. Make sure that what you say is always meant to build up and not to tear down. Make sure that what you say is always true and not false. Make sure that what you say is, uh, is spoken out of love and not out of bitterness or anger or hatred um, or jealousy or wrath. 
um, make sure that what you say is going to lead to the edification uh, of those who hear. It's going to lead to the upbuilding, or as Paul says in Ephesians 4, it's going to give grace to those who hear. I don't think, by the way, I don't think that means avoid all hard speech. Um, he's just been saying in this letter about some hard things that he's going to have to warn people about. Um, but what it does mean is that my speech should be a gift to the ones who are listening. Everything that I'm saying ought to be something that's meant to bless them and build them up and make them more like Jesus or, or, or compel them to see a need for, for Jesus more and more. That I not speak in such a way that's careless or in, speak in such a way that's going to be hurtful um, or speak in some sort of way that really just isn't helpful. I mean, a lot of speech that, that I, I think I fall into is just it's just mostly fruitless. Like it's not actually like helping helping people. He's saying, hey, be careful with your words when you speak make sure that uh, it's going to build up. And, and so I, I think that's a big one for us to uh, pay close attention to, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. He's almost, it's almost like he's got these five things and it seems like there's a couple pairs and then a last one that kind of summarizes a lot of it uh, or ties a lot of it together. Speech and conduct. Well, like I can talk a good game, but like, let's say, let's say I'm saying all the right stuff. I mean, actually, we know people, um, in some cases, probably even people on here know people who talked a great game. Everything they said was true when they preached it. Um, they were some of the wisest people in terms of handling the word of God you could have ever met. Oh, whoops. This guy was embezzling the church. Oh, whoops. This guy was sleeping with one of the deacon's wives or was running around with prostitutes or whatever. Oh, whoops. This guy is actually really selfish and hateful. He doesn't treat his kids well. You know, all these things. Well, like, look, good for you if you can talk good, but if you're not living right, it ain't going to be, it's not going to make a difference. So I've got to make sure that um, in addition to having the right kind of speech, I got to watch out for my conduct. How am I treating other people? I think that really feeds into the love and faith thing. Those are kind of the driving factors of our conduct. What is it that makes me make moral choices, if not my faith in God and in what he says and in what he means for my life? What's going to drive my treatment of my fellow man and woman? It's going to be love. And if it's not that, then it's going to be bad. It's going to be all messed up. And uh, so here, he it seems to me that you got like speech and conduct are kind of the two things that we do. We talk and we do. That's uh, We talk and we behave. We talk and we relate. Uh, what are the things that drive that? Well, it better be love and faith. And if it's not love and faith, it's going to be selfishness and kind of uh, a vacuum. And that's a recipe for disaster. If we don't remember these things, we keep coming back to it. But that's because it's such an important verse. Chapter one and verse five, you can hear it ring in an echo right here that, hey, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We got to keep coming back to those fundamental qualities. Amen. What do you think about purity being the last one that he mentions here uh, and kind of the significance of that in this? And I mean, he could have he could have listed off any of hundreds of qualities that are necessary, but he lists off speech and conduct, love and faith, and then purity. Why do you think, um, why do you think that's kind of the last one? I'm always interested in the order of these things. It makes sense since he's talking to Timothy as a young preacher, Hey man, get your speech right. That's the first one he mentions, but why do you, I mean, and we don't know an exact answer, but what speaks to you about purity in this list and especially being kind of the climax of the list. Yeah. So, I mean, when I think of purity, I think of like uh, letting people see like a heart that is really uh, sincerely and completely devoted to God. Letting people see a heart that is, uh, I almost want to say sinless, like purity, sinless, but I, I don't, I know that he's not talking here. I don't think about perfection, but a heart that is is completely and utterly devoted to the Lord. And, and, and ultimately that's what, um, that's what is going to have the most powerful impact on the believers. Like, I mean, you think about even, even the shepherds are often instructed to uh, lead through example. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, what uh, kind of Paul is saying here about Timothy too. Like ultimately what the way you're going to impact people not just through your speech. It's not just through, um, through, through what you say or how you talk. It's, it's through how you live. 
So show them a heart that is completely devoted to God. Show them a lifestyle, who, a conduct that is completely uh, focused on pleasing God, a, a lifestyle that is pure and holy set apart from, uh, from, from the world. Uh, I don't know. That's what comes to mind when I read it. I love that. I think it's a great, and, and that's what it's all about. That's what's going to keep us oriented with the importance and the significance of our ministries when we're purely focused on God and his will. That's what's going to keep us motivated to practice the kinds of habits that we want is when we're not letting other bad stuff corrupt the habits of godliness in serving God. And I mean, you can love six days a week, but if one day a week you're running around acting like a fool, you're going to corrupt all the good in your character eventually, you know? Um, so that, that purity is so crucial and we got to keep pursuing that. He's going to keep coming back to that with Timothy, honestly. And it's something all of us need to remember if we want to be servants in God's house. I think that's pretty much it for today. This was awesome uh, for anybody who has additional thoughts. We'd love to, we love seeing even whether it's live in here or after the fact comments, questions, observations, inquiries, not only about the text that we're looking at any particular week, but just things you're talking about or thinking about working on in your own life with the Lord. So reach out to us, let us know, uh, drop a comment, send us a message, uh, let us know how we can help you and serve you in your pursuit of the Lord. That's what we're all trying to do is be pleasing to him and fix our hope more fully on him so that we'll find salvation when this whole thing's over. Anything else before we uh, wrap it up for today? I think that's good. We'll get back at it. God willing again next week. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. See y'all next time. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.